0: well looks like sean's not joining us again damo so it's just you and me but welcome back to the the trikes performance channel Uh, my name is rob delves and i'm joined as always by damon bednarski talking today uh, about mental health and practitioners and And in this episode, we're going to talk more about um, bubbles in terms of COVID bubbles and and team sports relocated, uh, relocating to play in bubbles around Australia, uh, given the various lockdowns that have happened um, across numerous team sports now. So uh, Damon and I have been fortunate enough, I guess, if you could call that to experience bubbles, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, either traveling away with the team or, or being immersed in that sort of quarantine Training and back to our hotel sort of setup. So uh, we've got a few different insights on this, and we're keen to share them with you uh, in today's episode, Dan. I
1: yeah, we certainly are, Rob. Um, you're currently up in the bubble, aren't you? At
0: <laughs> well, see, at the moment, not technically in a bubble, which is um, which is good. So in Queensland at the moment, um, so it's it's pretty good here in terms of the COVID situation. So fortunate enough to be uh, able to get out and about from the resort, which is um, which is really good, but. Um, still have some similar um, experiences to what I'd imagine you uh, experienced last year um, with the Renegades. Do you want to maybe uh, touch on that first, Amo? Briefly just go through uh, your experience in a bubble and maybe talk about your living conditions first. I think that might be a good segue to start.
1: Yeah, so um, last year with the WBBL being from uh, the dirty Victoria state that they they classed it as we... um, we had to do what we do. We did two weeks of pre departure quarantine here in Melbourne. So essentially under the hard lockdown rule, which was not really any different to what it was in Melbourne anyway, um, but we are still able to train during that period with permits and whatnot. Um, And then we went to Sydney and had two weeks of hard lockdown there. So hotel quarantine um, again with the professional athlete, um exemptions were able to go outside and train for three hours a day but outside of that you were confined to your um hotel room so i got very accustomed with the uh the hotel room at the lovely ibis at olympic park um so yeah that, that wasn't I, I found that not too bad um three hours outside per day actually was probably too yep. much um yeah, right it's a yeah. lot it, it's a, it's a lot in one hit like you if you're able to be outside for three hours at your own choice, it's obviously not that much, but when you're told you've got three hours now, you, you hit it real hard and think, yeah, and then flog yourself because that's the only time outside. And then you come back into your hotel room. Um, After that, we got moved literally next door to the Novotel hotel and we were there for the five or six weeks of the tournament, um, which because of the whole biosecurity rules, and it was a bit of a cricket Australia sort of trial essentially to see what would happen for the test summer um and the men's big bash we were in a hub there so we were at the novatel hotel and all of the teams and the umpires and support staff and everything were all in the same hotel um but you still weren't really allowed to do much like you could go out to exercise but you had to mm. like sign a permission slip essentially to go out. Um, and you could go to your scheduled trainings and games and that, but you couldn't interact with the general public or do anything. Um, I think in the last week when things had sort of died down a little bit, they opened up the freedoms a little bit Mm. and we were allowed to go to like restaurants Mm. and you could see people outside and stuff like that. But, um, overall, like you're staying in a hotel, you're getting fed, your washing's done for you. Um, all those sorts of things. So in terms of conditions, you certainly can't complain, um, which we've had this discussion as well. It's it's not a bad setup, but it does be, become a little bit groundhog day like, and, um, being in that scenario where you're next door to you, the coaches and the players and everything like that work just seems to become 24 hours a day rather than, mm. you know, let's go to training. We go to the game, then you go home. There's not really an opportunity to, um, shut off or shut down. I don't know how you found it, but that certainly was how it was for me. And I can see that it can become a bit challenging um, as a coach, not having that time away from the players and the staff and and the game itself that you're involved with.
0: Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting. Like it's, I think what a lot of people suggest and, and what I've copped a few times up here is that, um, you know, if you're, yeah, you're in the resort or you're you know, in a resort itself or whatever it's it's it is nice and it is you know, it is good um, from that perspective but i think what you touched on there is important the fact that you're always I, th- I feel like have a level of being on in terms of engaged with what's going on in the program or you you see athletes every day or you're running to coaches every day or so i feel, for me personally i feel like there's this element of there's not a great escape or separation from your work life when you're involved in those sort of situations, which isn't um, necessarily a bad thing um, for some people, but I think for others, people need a bit of a disconnect there as well. So like for me personally, I always enjoy my time to myself. I think is important. Like for me, I find it important that I do things by myself and have that alone time just to be with my thoughts. But being around here or being in a bubble or whatever, it's hard to do that because you see people at dinner, you see people at you know, lunch, uh, you know, you see people out, even when you go out down the street or whatever, you always run to people there as well. So I feel like it's living at work is almost a way to put it, uh, which again, isn't bad, but it's the same as anything. There's no variety or it's very mundane and people do get a bit of cabin fever and you know, and all mm-hmm. those sort of things as well. But what I think is important, like, how did you feel? Like, what was your mental health like during the bubble? Like, did some people thrive in that sort of situation? Other people just don't. Other people don't like it and feel a bit cooped up. Like, how did you feel mentally day to day?
1: I think I was running pretty, pretty hot for the majority of the tournament just because I was... What, what do you
0: mean by running hot? Exactly. Like just
1: like, like I was in a good space. Um, okay. Yep. It, was, it was was enjoying it. Um, there wasn't really much bringing me down. But that was probably more because of the opportunity to be involved in an elite sporting program, yep. and that that's sort of really the only reason it happened for me was because it was in a hub and I was in the right place at the right time. So, I was more just embracing the opportunity to be involved and. Um, prepared to get my hands dirty and get into anything at any time, sort of um, thing. So, you know, if there's a session that popped up or, mm-hmm. you know, skills session, whatnot, um, it did become a bit demanding towards the back end of the tournament when um, obviously results didn't go the, go our way. Um, you have spent mm-hmm. a long time away from like yeah, your partners and stuff like that. I was pretty early on in a relationship, so that was not ideal. Um, being away for five, six, seven weeks. Um, so did you did
0: you think it your mood fluctuated then, or was it constant throughout? Or obviously losing makes everybody a bit, you know, on edge. But did, were you consistent, or were you like what? Were you, what was your mood actually like?
1: Um, in, in front of the players, always like the same. I think you just you present yeah. that constant yeah. constant wall. Um, towards the back end, I'd say in the last week or two, when, like people around you as well, like the, the coaching staff and the support staff were starting to break a little bit as well from that sort of cabin fever, but not also that I think it's because as well, that as the support staff and the players that are in that squad know you and trust you They'd spent that amount of time with me. Um, so most of them I'd only known for the five, six weeks, you know, leading into that last couple of weeks, but you spend every day with them. So you become a bit of a trusted person um mm-hmm. and so i feel like rather than utilizing the support services that may have been provided there by cricket australia such as like a psychologist or um you know the welfare managers the players would generally come to us as a staff because they trusted us um so i feel like there was an added role um added to your position description towards the end that you were actually now a bit mm-hmm. of a, a you had to be an a listening ear and a bit of a counsellor yourself to get them through it but then i guess that adds on to your own struggles mm-hmm. that you might be having the coaches you know are what present as a strong front and you're always someone to talk to all right like, let's
0: let's talk about that because this is a good point that we need to really hammer home at the moment is that you've touched on a couple of times now the first point is that when we talk about a bubble athletes generally take the most attention about how they're impacted and how it's tough for them to live with restrictions, which is fine, particularly and that, yeah, that's absolutely because they live in a high-pressure environment already. But what you just said is very important. I feel like, and, and we've written this down a couple of times, is that the coaches are, and we'll say particular, we'll say like tactical coaches first and foremost, and then we'll talk about physios and SNC strength, you know, strength, sports science, whatever but they also live with the same challenges that what you just talked about then in terms of like if you're a young tactical coach, so tactical talking about, you know, assistant coach or whatever, you probably have young kids as well. you probably got a wife, you've probably got you know a husband, whatever it might be. Um, so you have the same challenges that, or similar challenges to what the athletes are facing, but then you've also got a family to look after. But again, what you've just said is correct in itself that they've also got to maintain a front for the athletes to get them to help perform at their best. So not only have they got their own challenges with their family and their role and, and their own mental health, but they need to make sure that they don't let on or try to let on that they're suffering as well. For athletes, because athletes are very perceptive, and if that situation can be, can become contagious, can't it? Yeah, you yeah. hit
1: the nail on the head there, mate. Um, like like you said, that's you as as the coach. I guess with the like you said, SNC physios and stuff like you're not really in the limelight, but the coach is the one that has to front the media, do that. They have yeah. to, you know, devise yeah. the plans. They live and breathe, live and die by results. Um, yeah. And then again, especially in these hubs, uh, generally the the support staff aren't able to bring their partners and kids along as well. So they're in exactly the same position mm. with the same pressures, but then also got to absorb um, mm. anything that relays back from the player. So yeah, great I, I word. think great
0: word. It is. is it a is great word.
1: It's definitely one of those fronts. And I was one thing that we haven't really touched on yet, as well, is that when you're in these positions and you might have um, some mental health things going on, you don't always want to talk to the general psychologist that's been provided or the welfare person that's there because you may not. Know them like I know in my right. experience, yeah. I, I wouldn't okay. have been able to spot the person out if we were in the dining hall who, who they were.
0: Oh, right, um, okay. So, yeah, so you're talking it, like I, in terms of people you're more comfortable I, with, and you know, people you have an established rapport with that you would like, yeah. You'd like yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, I, I think that's as well as that the players would probably come to the staff because they know who they are. And I know the staff probably confide in each other a little bit,
0: mm. but if, if you yeah. did
1: have those underlying mental health things, I know if it was me and I'd been, I'd spoken to someone before, I'd be more inclined to go back to them. So I know these support services that these, the clubs and the leagues put in place are, are great. But the the idea is that if you've got a pre-existing condition or you've got experience with that, you probably already got your own, psychologist or psychiatrist that you go Mm. and see you're probably going to call them not go to the support services that are within the hub so i think that's one thing that probably needs to be understood as well as that in in these hubs it's really difficult because you're trying to provide all the resources there but there needs to be a little bit of a leeway and exception there that people need to be able to access their own resources mm, that they normally use as well so that's
0: that's something that i haven't really been exposed to too much like i know what you said is interesting like a lot of times you know physio benches um massage tables there there are a lot sometimes they can masquerade as you know psychology yeah. rooms and and consultation clinics because yeah you know, a lot of information gets passed along you know, the strapping table and, and stuff like that so what you say say has got a lot of merit to it i think it's probably important then that We take time, and we understand that, particularly, you know, the support staff behind the athletes have got a lot of other um, concerns and responsibilities going on, and and to nurture that um, your own mental health in order to you know fill your glass first. I guess Mm. I think the the only other thing
1: I sort of had to add was that it actually it actually took a little bit of time to like normalize back into like society a little bit after being in in that setup for seven weeks. Like it was a bit strange to to come back and. Be allowed to do what you want to do. The weirdest thing for me was actually like reintegrating back into what like normal society. Yes, you call because after seven weeks, um, that that was probably toughest for me afterwards, then because you get in this set routine and this, yeah, this it's life. a collective group, uh,
0: isn't it? It's a collective group led adventure that you're all a part of and you're all, you know, you're all, be- you're all you know, bonding together over it. So, yeah, I can understand that for sure. Oh, well, Damo, that's a pretty good discussion there, I reckon. There's um, a couple of good honest experiences there and some um, pretty forthright discussion too, I reckon. So uh, hopefully, I guess if you're watching this, you've got some insight into it or you've maybe if you've lived or experienced the bubble life, you might find some similarities and, and common ground between uh, Damo and I um, because it is an interesting experience and, and places pretty unique pressures uh, on families and, and and individuals as well, so it's something that, definitely need to be cognizant of and aware of, particularly as this pandemic rolls on. So uh, thanks to you, Damon, for your time today, um, insightful as ever, and uh, that beanie is doing plenty. So thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks, Rob.